Welcome to Sunday Morning. I'm Claire Bidwell-Smith, a therapist specializing in grief and the author of three books about grief and loss. So last week, I talked about ways to stay connected to our loved ones, and I also touched on my experience and thoughts about psychic mediums. Today, I am really excited to introduce you to my friend and favorite psychic medium, Floor. I first met Floor four years ago when I was working on my last book, I actually thought that I was done seeing psychic mediums, Um, but around the time that I was almost done working on my book as well, one of my best friends died. Um, My friend Abby was 38 years old, and she was a mom of two small kids, and we had been friends for almost 20 years. Losing her was really, really hard. Um... Abby and I met when we were both waitresses in our early 20s in New York City, and we kind of saw each other through a lot of really big early adulthood moments, Um, moving to Los Angeles together, getting married, having babies, forging our career paths, and um, she got breast cancer and saying goodbye to her and watching her family have to say goodbye to her was one of the hardest things I've been through in my adult life. Um, it's one thing to kind of, I don't know. I don't know. What is it? It's so hard to lose a friend, to lose a peer, to lose anybody we love. But I also really just, um, ached for her family and her children. Um, her kids and my kids played together and I was, I am friends with her her siblings and close with her parents. And it was just heartbreaking to watch her whole family um, go through this and to watch Abby have to say goodbye to them as well. Um, About six weeks after she died, I got an email from her husband one morning and he told me that he had just gotten an email from a mom at their kid's school. And the mom told him that she had been the night before to a psychic medium a big group reading um, with a psychic medium named Fleur here in Los Angeles and that Abby had come through really strongly. Um, Even though this woman, this mom from the school didn't know Abby that well, she said it was undoubtedly Abby that was coming through. And so Abby's husband sent me this email and I was so curious about this medium. So I was almost done with my book and I certainly thought I had seen more than enough mediums at that point. Um, But because Abby was involved in this case, I, I couldn't help myself. So I booked an appointment with Floor, and the only open spot she had available happened to be the morning after Abby's memorial service. They didn't have Abby's memorial service for a couple of months after she died. And the time that I booked this, it ended up being right then, um, right the morning after I got home from the memorial service. Now, one thing I want to say really quickly about all the psychic mediums that I saw over the course of my book research is that I was really meticulous about preserving my anonymity. I always made my reservations with fake names, blocked phone numbers. I paid in cash. Um, I I never wanted to come out of a a reading and question if the person, if the medium had just looked me up. There's so much information on the internet. Um, All my stories about my parents and losing them and kind of my background. And so I didn't ever want to question if a medium had simply Googled me before my visit. So I made all these meetings with them. very, very serious and careful anonymity. And I did the same when I went to see Floor. Um, but even going to see Floor, I didn't, I, I didn't even worry that much because I'd never written about Abby and she had only so recently died. And um, there was nothing to, to find, I don't think, in relationship to me and Abby. Anyway, I go to see Floor in her office in Los Angeles. And the first thing I'm really surprised by is how young Flora is. She's young and sweet and like had really cool shoes on and she seemed like someone I would be friends with. And she had this really nice little office and we sat down and she just very quickly um, brought my parents through and then Abby came through as well. And I can never tell the story without getting choked up. Um, so... Fleur brought my parents through, and that was, you know, lots of amazing details about that. But what I had come for was Abby, and and all of a sudden, you know, Fleur started talking about how I had there was a friend, there was a friend there, and she was like a best friend and someone who had known me for a long time. And Fleur told me that I had only recently been to her memorial service, 
and it had literally been the weekend before I'd flown back to Boston for it. And I didn't bring any of this up to Flora. I didn't come in asking for her to channel a friend of mine. I didn't tell her I'd lost a friend, none of this. And so I sat there in tears, you know, um, listening to Flora tell me these messages from Abby. But the most significant one was um, Abby had a young daughter named Julia, who was only three at the time that Abby died. And on the morning of the memorial service, um, I ended up helping Julia get dressed for the for the service, putting on the pretty dress that she would wear at her mom's memorial service. And I had this real moment of thinking in that moment of helping her get dressed, of just thinking about having lost my own mother was one layer of it. And then also thinking that it could have so easily been me who had died of breast cancer at 38. And Abby, because we were so close, would have in all likelihood been one of the people there helping my own daughters get dressed for my memorial service. And there was something really comforting and so painful and so beautiful in all of it. And so when Floor brought Abby through, she said that Abby was telling her that she saw me putting on, helping Julia put on her dress for the memorial service and that it meant so much to her. And so guys, this is where I don't know if this stuff is real or not. Like, I don't know. But the amount of peace and comfort it gave me to imagine that maybe Abby did know how much we all loved her and how much we were there for her family and her kids. Um, that brings me peace and comfort. And I don't know. I, I have no idea what's real or if it was or not. Um, but I think it's interesting and I think it's worth exploring. And I know there's a lot of taboo around it and so many people who want to discredit psychic mediums or dismiss this idea, this notion that we can connect to, to the other side. But I do think it's a very real urge of people who are grieving is to find that connection. And I think that if you can find it in a healing way, it can be really helpful. So I'm curious about exploring it. Anyway, um, after that first session with Flora, a couple weeks later, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I went home, I sent Abby's family all the messages I'd gotten, and they were also really interested to hear them. I ended up sending Flora a copy of my book and a note and telling her that she was going to end up being in the last chapter of my new book. And she emailed me or called me after she got that, and we've been friends ever since. And not only did she turn out to just be this remarkably cool and interesting and smart and empathic woman, but we just have some of my most favorite conversations about life and death um, that I've ever had with anybody. So we had one here on the podcast that you can now hear, and I'm really excited for you guys to listen in, um, whether or not you believe in psychic mediums or you're just curious, or you just want to hear some interesting thoughts about how we stay connected to loved ones. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. So here we go. Okay. Hi, Flora. Welcome to Sunday morning. Hey, Claire. Good to have and be here. <laughs> Thank you. So we're sitting at my dining room table in Santa Monica, and um, we've been here many, many times. It's true. And I'm excited to kind of really interview you and talk about this subject of psychic mediums and connecting with people that we've lost. It's a fascinating topic for me personally and professionally. And I know that there's like a ton of people out there who have a million questions and I'm going to hopefully ask the questions that they want to hear answered. Um, but to get started, can you just tell us about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. I am a medium. So that really just means I connect people here to their loved ones on the other side. And I do that by using, I guess, what one would call psychic senses. So it's oftentimes uh, what I can see, but you can't. So I'm giving information and evidence, hopefully, that would make you go, oh, okay, there's, there's something else to this. And I do that in private readings. I do it for shows. Um, I also teach workshops for people how to connect to their own loved ones. So I try to find ways of bridging that gap in as many ways as possible. Um, and how... How do you do that? Like you're talking to people that are dead. Yeah, that's, I know. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, this is my job. Like I talk to dead people and it seems really <laughs> unreal for a second. And then I go to work. And I'm like, oh yeah, this works. This is amazing. But it really, it's been there forever. So for me, how it works is really a sense of, it's like having an arm. Uh, it's always been there. 
And for the brief moments in my life that I've haven't been feeling like I could connect, it really is like losing a limb. Like I feel like there's something very off uh, to not having the ability to connect. And I think that, you know, the best way for me to describe it is I, I just go into a sense of a secondary awareness. It's like an in-between state. Um, a lot of it is me putting myself into a meditative space so I can get it as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'll see, feel, hear, and know and make the connections from from that way forward. But it's always been there. So it's not really something that I had to learn how to do. I had to learn to create a skill set around it, but the initial ability was already there. And um, how, how did this happen? Did you always have this? Yeah. It was like my cat Foster just walked right through the middle of us in front of the microphone. And Flora and I were both like, what do we do? <laughs> Hello, cat. Um, so, so wait, how, how did, tell me, what's your background on this? Did you cultivate this? Have you always had this ability, like... Yeah. Um, well, like I said, it's, I think it's a given gift, but it's a skill set as well. So I often like to kind of metaphorically relate to it as a ballerina, for example. Uh, you could have been born with the perfect ballerina body, but if you didn't put any skill sets uh, to use in the gym and like you didn't train over and over and over again, then maybe you're not going to be like the ballerina on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's the same like for, anything, right? with anything. Like, yeah, anything. absolutely anything. So it's just a natural gift that I happen to have um, and then had to train to sharpen and to make it into something that is always there when I need it to be there, so to speak. So it's not something I'm like, oh, it's sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. Like now I have an off and an on button and I mm-hmm. go, all right, like dialing in. So always been there um, for sure, but it wasn't until I was about 19 that I thought, Okay, let me figure this out. But wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. You have to go back to childhood for me. <laughs> childhood. <laughs> when did you discover this and how did that impact you as a kid and, and your family? Yeah. Well, I, you know, Where I did think... you grow up? Like, paint us a picture. Okay, paint us a picture. Yes, for sure. Um, well, I'm from the Netherlands, so it was... It all started in the Netherlands. Um, moved there or moved to the U.S. from there when I was eight And I think my parents were the first ones to discover that it was anything special in terms of I obviously didn't know I had a gift. I thought everybody saw the world the way that I did. If that's your reality, then you're assuming as a child that that's everybody's reality. So it's not until you can converse and talk that you start to realize what I'm seeing is not what they're seeing. And that's weird. What were you, you seeing? Know? So um, I, especially at that time, I don't see it anymore, but at that time I would see uh, people who are in the spirit world very three-dimensionally. So they were just as real to me as you or I. Mm-hmm. So I especially would have um, conversations with my parents and I'd be like, oh, so-and-so is in the room. And they were like, uh, who? Like, who's in the room? No one's in the room. Please tell us more. <laughs> so uh, so they they really tested me in the beginning. My, my dad uh, is and was an engineer. My mother uh, was a journalist. And I think both of them came from a place of absolute skepticism, but uh, in a way that they were like, let's just have a conversation with her. Maybe it's an imaginary friend. Maybe it's not. But tell us more. What do they look like? Mm-hmm. What are they saying? Um, and I think the turning point for my parents was when my mom was like, all right, well, like, what are their names? And she loves to tell the story because she kept talking after that. And I went, Mom, if you want me to ask their names, you have to be quiet because I won't be able to hear them. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Right. I'm trying to imagine if my eight-year-old said something like that to me. Like, you you got, you got to be quiet. Uh, so I turn around and I give the nicknames of my great-grandparents who had been very close to her but who I had never known. And so I think from that moment on, they took it a little bit more seriously. Yeah. They were like, well, something's going on. That's weird. Especially because I was able to have a conversation with the other side. So it wasn't really just like I was making up a story. Mm-hmm. It was more like, hold on, that's a question. Let me get the answer. Let me relay it back. Okay, what do you want to say? You know, so it was kind of a, a middle road. And, and that really is what mediumship is. I'm translating from both sides. So it was really, really, really present when I was a kid. My parents were pretty okay with it. Wasn't encouraged, wasn't discouraged. Um, it was really one of those things where I think they wanted to protect me as much as possible, but also didn't understand it themselves. Weren't particularly religious. My dad actually was an atheist. And so both parents were like, we don't know what to do about it. We'll just wait and see. Mm-hmm. And tried to, I think, protect me in the best way possible. But you go to elementary school, you start, you know, kindergarten, whatever it is, and you realize what I'm seeing is not what they're seeing, and you learn to shut up about it very, very quickly. 
So I really hated it for, for many, many years. Um, it was, it's funny because looking back, um, I, we would, wherever we would go on vacation or if, if we were just walking around town, going into a bakery, whatever it was, um, throughout the years, at least a few times a year, somebody random would go up to us, whether they were uh, like an open psychic or a very closeted psychic or somebody random that was like, I never tell anyone this, but I'm also a medium. They'd come up and they'd be like, your child needs to be doing her mm. gift. And my parents would roll their eyes and be like, God, everyone says this. And I would be like, they're crazy. They tell everybody that. And, you know, my parents would say something along the lines of, well, they didn't tell us. They didn't tell your little sister, you know. Like, we just didn't. It was kind of one of those funny things that just kept happening. Yeah. So then when I got a little older and I was about 10 to 14, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. That would be reminded to me every once in a while. They'd be like, well, like... You weren't, it wasn't just your imagination. You can, you can pretend it was just your imagination, but it wasn't. We lived through it. So every time that I would be like, haha, very funny, funny story that, you know, that I'm sure that didn't happen. I'm sure I was just highly imaginative. I'm sure I could just tell a good story to you guys. They'd be like, no, you weren't there. So you can't, you can't create, recreate that so you history. you were literally trying to deny it. Completely. Yes. I was like, that wasn't real. It's lovely. You guys thought it was real, um, but it wasn't, you know? And so was that because like you kind of sensed that around you in the world at school or wherever that this was not going to fly? Yeah. It felt like that it wasn't going to fly. And I also just didn't, I think I just didn't want to be different. I really had no interest in it other than it was there. I was not the kid who was interested in tarot cards or the occult or witchcraft in any way it was like no thank you I want to be a science nerd and be a doctor like that's all I wanted to do I spent was the most nerdy kid I spent my Wednesday nights in chemistry club and you know in high school I went to international science fair and all I wanted to do was be a neurosurgeon so that didn't fit into that picture Mm -hmm. like the sense of being an academic and going to prestigious school and making good grades and kind of being that overachieving a plus student did not fall into the category of also talking to dead people right. on the side. So it so was really... it popping up? Were they popping up while you were trying? So to thankfully, school? in my you high school years, high school yes, story. I do I have one. This <laughs> poor guy. Um, we're still good friends, but so throughout high school, really nothing crazy happened except for little things would pop up, and one of them, which is a story I've told you, which is so funny, I was in chemistry club, nerdy as I as I was, and all of a sudden, it just I had the most intense feeling that my one of my very good guy friends was going to ask me to prom and I didn't want to go with him and so I just threw all my books at my friend and I said I'm leaving and she was like where are you going in the middle like, of class. yeah she's like it's like you can't just leave I was like no I'm going home like I had driven a car and I was like I'm, I'm, I'm leaving I'll talk to you later I gotta go like this is gonna be the worst thing ever I can't explain it but I know he's about to walk in here with a guitar and roses and oh, I won't be able to say no because it'll be in front of everybody. So I left and not even five minutes later, he came in full suit, guitar, roses, Aww. the whole thing. But I was gone and no one knew where I was. <laughs> so God. I didn't go to prom with him because I wasn't there. Uh, so, <laughs> And I had this other guy I wanted to go with and, you know, all that stuff, which I, I did end up going with him. So it was just this sense of like, oh, I got to get out of here. So I really didn't. And, and even in that moment, I just kind of talked it off as, oh, well, coincidence. Oh, you're back, little kitty cat. We got this cat walking around the microphone. It's pretty great. <laughs> okay. um, and, uh, you know, it was really not a big part of my life at that time. I was also pretty strongly atheist at that time, I would say. I was really into math and science. And Were your parents religious at all? Uh, my mom grew up Roman Catholic, didn't practice it at all. Uh, my father came from an atheist household. His father, my grandfather, was a headmaster. My grandmother uh, is, well, she's still living, but she was a nurse. So very kind of left brain, mm-hmm. rational people. And uh, my mom's side, less rational, um, but not necessarily practicing Roman Catholics, more Roman Catholic by family. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, that was just yeah. who they were. Uh, so no, we we were not raised in a church mindset. Um, we went to church in Texas because that was the thing to do. And as people from a foreign country, we realized pretty quickly on if you don't go to church <laughs> and you've got an accent, you're in trouble. So we went to church. <laughs> Sad but true. Sad but true. And it was lovely. I, I really, um, I think it was one of the 
a great learning experience for me. We really liked uh, our church. It was very liberal. It was very open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a really great time there. And we went for years. I ended up getting confirmed and I ran Bible study. But you were still atheist at heart. Yeah, I was like, I'm not sure. I was like, well, you know, we've got proof Jesus lived. I'm sure he was a wonderful man. But it didn't necessarily, like, I didn't really relate to this sense of uh, maybe, like, the biblical teacher things in the way that um, they were kind of presented to us at that time. So it was like, Mm -hmm. I was like, that's nice. I like to sing in church and I like to go and I like to do this stuff and I'm totally fine with reading the literature, but it wasn't necessarily this overwhelming belief, you know? Was there any part of you that felt like if you did even open up to exploring anything about religion or God, that that would open a whole doorway into maybe... Yeah, I think partially so. I think part of me was like, really, I'm just not even going to look at it because the Mm -hmm. minute I do, then... Then you have to look at whatever was going on. Absolutely. It's like Pandora's box. You know, it was like not looking at that, not looking at that. Much Mm -hmm. easier to be an atheist. Because I think if I would look back at that time, I definitely would have believed something bigger was at play for sure. But I think just putting it into the category of I don't believe anything made it really easy for me to then absolutely denounce everything. That was exactly my experience too. After my mother died, I just, it was so much easier to believe in nothing mm-hmm. because the alternative was too huge and too scary to delve absolutely. into, you know? Yeah, because then you don't know where that ends. Right. And if you're just like, uh, it's nothing, it ends there. It's like it done. Had, it, yeah, just had a million more questions like, okay, well, if there is something beyond this, if there is a God, if there is an afterlife, then where's my mom? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to talk to her now. Why is she dead? You know, just yeah, like all exactly. these questions. So to go kind of a more existential atheist route was much easier. Hundred percent, completely mm-hmm. agree. And and that's where I was at that time too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moved to California to go to UCLA and all of that for med school. From yeah, to to go to UCLA for pre med and neuroscience and. Um, all of that was kind of no longer an option. It's like the universe was like, nope, you're done now. So it all started coming back. Um, it was really overwhelming. It was as overwhelming as when I was a all kid. All your senses started coming yes, back. Yes, yeah. yes. All that mediumistic connection that I'd kind of been able to... In the middle of me. like your freshman yes. college. Yes, yes. <laughs> Terrible. Awful. Worst year ever. <laughs> um, really, 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 really bad. Uh, what was happening there? Were you seeing stuff all of a sudden or getting... You know, yeah, I was I was seeing stuff. Um, I also got really sick, uh, and so it really was this sense of like I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't sleep. Um, it was like it was just kind of like I was being shaken awake in some way, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know what was going on in any way, and um, was really scared by it. And my parents actually said, "Well." just go see a medium. Like, can you just do us a favor and go see somebody that does this kind of stuff? Because you didn't see you as a kid. Like, we experienced it. We lived it. Like, do us a solid. We'll pay for it. Just go. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, just go. Please go. Figure this out. (laughs) I love stories about your parents. Right, yeah. Like, the rational engineer is like, who do I write the check to? (laughs) Like, which which witchy lady do you need to go see? Um, He's like, I, you know, whatever it takes. Because uh, here he is, like, helping to pay for college. You know, he's like, this isn't going anywhere. This is a mess. <laughs> so, so, um, so he, yeah, he, he, we, I, like, picked somebody and I went. And I remember sitting down in the first five minutes. She was like, oh, you're supposed to be a medium and you're not doing it. And if you don't uh, kind of do what you're supposed to be doing, if you don't live your purpose, then you're not going to be living for very long. And also, you're going to be very miserable. Uh, so she had said some other things in that reading where I thought, well, it's kind of crazy that she knows that, mm-hmm. but I walked out pretty mad at her to be like, mm-hmm. cause I remember being like, you can't tell me what to do. And like mm-hmm. every, my whole life people have been like, you should do this gift. I'm like, where's my choice in all of this? This isn't, yeah. this isn't fair. Like you're not allowed to tell me that I can't be a doctor. And I think I was still very much in this kind of like teenage rebellion stage where I was like. I don't want to, you know, like you can't make me do it because also it was going to mean being different and putting yourself out there and um, all this stuff that I think at 18, 19, I just really wasn't ready for. But she like touched on something and I thought, all right, fine, I'll do it in secret. Like I'll start meditating. I'll start um, working on it and we'll see. And I gave myself a year's time. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, all right, for a year, I'm going to suspend disbelief. I'm going to say, I'm not going to rationalize every second of this. I'm not Mm going to spend every second of this journey going, well, maybe it's not true. Uh, Maybe I made that up. 
maybe I just guessed really well. I love that. I have chills. That was my. That was the whole thing I had to do for my book too. Was just to kind of suspend disbelief. Yeah. And just open up to all these things. Just take a second to be like, yeah. Let me just take it in because if I if I'm gonna stop myself every two seconds, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna be able to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So same thing. And we do that in our daily lives so much, I think. I think we don't even realize it until we do make a decision like that to to suspend disbelief and open ourselves up to something, whatever that may be, you know? A hundred percent. It's pretty profound. It really is. And it really, it made it possible for me to start Mm -hmm. because had I not suspended disbelief for that year, I wouldn't have continued going forward Mm -hmm. because in the beginning uh just anytime that rationale came forward or that fear bubbled up or that really left brain scientific place you know where I was in lecture and they'd be like oh like psychosis symptoms seeing people (laughs) hearing voices I was like oh god like this is you know so I'm like learning about neuroscience and learning about psychology at the same time that I'm kind of training my mediumship I'm like oh I've really lost it now but I was every time I'd be like you know what doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Send disbelief. Let it go. Keep going. And after a year, I just really could not possibly explain it away. Like there was absolutely no way that I had uh, had had the experiences, had done the readings for people. Um, and I think the first time somebody told me that I changed their life was at 19. And I remember thinking, that's crazy that mm-hmm. in 30, 40 minutes, I changed your life. Mm-hmm. I was like, Really? And that just kind of kept happening to a place where that disbelief really started just to suspend and just go away and kind of fade away. And I stepped into like the next layer of it, which was, okay, all right, do I want to, do I want to continue doing this? At that time I was working under a fake name and I was working from a closet. So I, um, <laughs> I shared a bedroom with my friend in, in college and we're still good friends. And she was one of the only people that knew at that time because I shared a room. So I couldn't. Yeah, I was like sitting between clothing, Uh talking on the phone. Uh, And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to disappear into this closet for the next four hours. So I just need you to know what I'm doing. So you know, (laughs) so you're not worried. She's like, that's fine. I'll just put in headphones. I'm like, great. See you soon. So, you know, I did that for some time and then graduated and thought, I absolutely love this work. It's, I feel like it's really making a difference. I, Mm -hmm. um, now that I've accepted it, I don't know why I haven't done it earlier, um, I think that biggest barrier was just really, what are people going to think? Mm-hmm. And um, am I really going to brand myself as this quote-unquote psychic medium right? with all the crazy stereotypes that holds? And Yeah, but that's what I love so much about you, you know, is that I don't think that you have all the stereotypes. You're not what I would think a psychic medium would look like. When I first came to see you, I was shocked by how young you are. And by just how like cute and normal and like I loved your suit, your shoes. You always have great <laughs> shoes. We always talk about your shoes. I um, do love Blair shoes. always has really fabulous shoes on. You've got some black strappy heels on tonight. Um, but I was just like, I was immediately struck by, you know, I mean, you're very young. That, this was all, what, 10 years ago? You're still in your yeah, 20s now? Yeah, I'm like, 27. 27. So, so this was less than 10 yeah, years eight, ago. Eight, nine years, yeah. Um, and I was just like, oh, she seems really cool, like someone I'd be friends with. And you know, now we yeah, are friends. Now we're friends. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, so I feel like you don't walk around with this big mystical aura and you're not like, you know, wearing, you know, dream catchers or something. <laughs> Can you imagine dream catcher earrings? That could be cute, actually. I could maybe see myself rocking this. And your office felt like my office, like my psychotherapy office. It just felt like a normal yeah. space that wasn't all woo-woo and mystical. And I always feel like, some of the mediums I've gone to see, there's a lot of flash and circumstance and pomp around them. And, yep. and I feel like sometimes that detracts from the actual work they're doing. And you don't need to do that. And Yeah, and that's the thing. You really, you really, really, really don't. And it's also, it's not me. I think my, I just try to try to be me in all of it and be like, this is the work. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily buy into the image behind it mm-hmm. or how it, perhaps has been practiced in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if maybe that is me uh, not necessarily associating myself with other mediums or what that's about more so that it just doesn't feel right to me. I'm like, eh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really vibe with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do it my way, you yeah, know? Definitely. So one of the things that you and I always end up talking about when we hang out is that we're, we're both working with the same kind of clients all the time, you know? Yeah, like absolutely. We're both working with people who are going through a lot of grief and you've lost somebody really significant. 
And, you know, you and I talk a lot about self-care, about what it's like to be around death and grief and sadness all the time. Um, what, what was it that you found healing so quickly and like, what was beautiful about it? And, you know, is it ever hard for you? Yeah. You know, it is, it can be a very emotionally taxing job. Absolutely. And I know that you could see that from your end too. Mm -hmm. You really hear the saddest stories. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also really beautiful because the only reason someone's coming to see you is because they love someone so much that they miss them incredibly. This is the exact conclusion I've come to. Yeah. Is that that's what you see more than anything is the love. A hundred percent. And I think that that if you keep your eye on that and you make sure you take good care of yourself and you watch for signs of burnout, then Mm -hmm. you're okay. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think there are times definitely where if I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Oh, I, I just feel so exhausted by this. I know it's time for some time off mm-hmm. and I have to recharge because it's, it's absolutely, it's taxing in, in all of those ways. And at the end of the day, if you want to do a good job, um, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. So, but I, but I find it really profound. It's really lovely and just inspirational to me to see people have these aha moments, these moments of closure. Um, my favorite thing is watching somebody come in and it feels like, and it looks like they've shed a hundred pounds when they walk out the door. Mm. There's just a sense of, Oh my gosh. Um, I did a reading for my chiropractor's secretary a few weeks ago, and it's unusual that I get to see up close the kind of domino effect of a reading because I usually don't see my clients again. I Mm -hmm. see them one time and they might see me years later, but I I won't see them the next week or two weeks from that. But because she's my chiropractor secretary, I saw her Mm -hmm. the week after and the week after that. And it was really sweet because she was like, you know, I just want to let you know that that what I left with in that reading was just peace. And she's like, every time I get anxiety about my husband's passing, I just listen back to the recording and I just feel Mm -hmm. peaceful again. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's so beautiful. And this is so many people's experience. And so even when I was experimenting with seeing all the psychic mediums and trying to figure out what I believed about it, I eventually came to the place where I didn't really care if it was true or not. Or if I could prove it or not. I, I did I did end up believing that it was true and real, but I I stopped believing or stopped caring that I could I had to prove it because what I saw in myself and in all of these people who would be at these shows or my friends that would come and I would see a lot of peace, you know, this sense yeah. of peace. I wrote in my book about one of my oldest friends who's who had lost a sister, and I took her to see James von Prague to do a show. And she ended up being the first person he read in this room full of a hundred. And previous to this show, she had spent like five years, four or five years, really, really deep in her grief and really sad and just really locked up in it. And this reading changed everything. You know, like he came through with these details about her sister that were just irrefutable. And I had grown up with her, so I, I knew them to be true. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it in the moment too. But my friend walked out of this experience and just a real shift occurred in her life for her throughout this time, you know, like she really, um, she really changed about just the way she had been so locked up. Like she had this new sense of peace and she felt a new kind of sense of connection to her, her sister. That's really incredible. I, I really think that shows like that, um, you know, sometimes people are like, Oh, well you, it's such a large audience. And like, I don't know if you're going to connect to everybody and obviously you won't, um, but I do think there's something really magical about watching strangers have that moment. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you get to witness it yeah. as an audience member, which you would never get to witness a private reading. So it's really the opportunity to see it happen in front of your eyes. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really enjoy going to the shows and seeing people have these kind of aha moments or these moments of feeling reconnected to their loved mm-hmm. ones or just like being able to suspend disbelief and be like, wow, maybe we still really are connected. Yeah. Because I think once you let yourself open up to the idea that we can still be connected, that shifts everything. Absolutely. You know? And I think it, different people require different different things. I had a man come up to me a few weeks ago after a show, and he's like, you know, I sat in a show of yours a few weeks ago, and I left, and I was convinced. I was like, absolutely. And then, like, a few days went by, and I started to question everything. And he's like, so I came back. And he's like, he's like, and now I'm back in it. And he's like, and then a few weeks went by and he's like, and then I had to come to a small group reading. Um, and he's like, I just need, I need you to like keep reminding me because I feel so much peace afterwards, yeah. but then it fades. It does fade. And, and I've had that experience personally too. I remember I would leave so high from a really good reading and, and I would just be utterly convinced that yes, I'm still completely connected and there's an afterlife. 
And then after a few days or a few weeks, it would fade. And I felt like for me, that was where my spiritual practices had to come into play. Yes. Like I had to start meditating. I had to start doing my own, finding my own ways to connect with my loved ones that weren't through psychics. You know, like how can I connect? So absolutely glad you've said that because it's so true. Mm -hmm. That is where your own spiritual journey comes in and where your own connection to your own soul and to something larger steps forward. Yeah. And I think it takes various people, longer bits of time to, to get there. So can you tell me about um, a recent experience that was profound or just, you know, illuminating for people who were listening? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as people don't really think that I do spend time still questioning, you know, we just talked about this man coming in and needing to see it over and over and over again to, to believe it. And sometimes it does really sound like too good to be true or like, just like a happy ending, like wishful thinking. Um, and also the idea that is brought up to me many times is like, well, what if you're just reading my mind? Or what mm-hmm. if you're just reading my energy? And, yeah. and that for me, I've, I've long ago let go of the sense of like disbelief on, is there something else happening? I absolutely know there is. But that sense of like, what exactly am I tapping into was for a long time still a question. Mm-hmm. And for me, I found... Um, and I love that you question this. I love that you have your own skepticism about all this. Well, That's yeah. one of my favorite I mean, things about you. Ultimately, I've got, this is like all coming through a perspective of bias because it's, it's me. It's coming through my mouth, through yeah. my vision, you know, through my, my lens of life. Uh, so I would have to in order, and maybe that's like the scientist coming out in me too. I'm like, okay, there's got to rule out the bias here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of, you know, what am I reading was a big deal for me over the last few years. And I think um, one of the best times uh, or the best kind of, Um, reading that I can do that makes me go, oh my gosh, this is amazing, is when I tell somebody something that they don't know that they have to go check out Mm -hmm. later. Like, I love that. Yeah. Something where I'm like, this is a random piece of information. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. They call it mom, dad, whatever. And mom, dad's like, oh my God, that's true. Mm -hmm. So I did a show in Orange County uh, this last Friday. And two instances like that came up in the show. One was one of the sweetest readings I've ever done. Um, he was a young man who passed in a car accident with his best friend and his aunt was in the audience and uh, they talked about knowing each other since they were five years old and riding dirt bikes together. And I said, you know, I know he rode a lime green dirt bike and that he was buried with his hat. And there were all these other details that she knew, but she didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that his brother's, what his brother's name had been and, and all this other factual, great information. But she called her sister, his mom, during intermission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was like, did he ride a lime green dirt bike? And she was like, he did. And so it was just such a wonderful moment. Yeah. yeah, where it's like that one little piece of evidence. Sure, everything else fit. And we weren't sure about the lime green. And we weren't mm-hmm. sure about this and that. And so she called. Her sister got the extra validation in that moment because she had to fact check. So she knew, you know, this is this is something that goes beyond what's happening in this room Mm -hmm. and those moments for me are just so cool and special because it means that there's an intelligence to the spirit world they um, are able to give me information that I'm not just pulling out of this lady's mind so to speak sitting in front of me Mm -hmm. Um, and and there's something else going on And, and another instance like that happened that evening where I was working um, with this woman in the audience whose grandfather had passed and he had Alzheimer's and she'd taken care of him and really sweet connection. And um, towards the end there, I say, you know, he keeps showing me a tin can and he's eating his dinner out of it. And I feel like there must have been something with him eating out of a tin can. Would you understand that? Did you like, did you make him something in a tin can? Like, I'm like, I can't quite place it. All I know is I have a very clear image of him eating out of a tin can. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I couldn't let it go. And I was like, I'm like, are you sure? Like, there's a tin can. Like, I was like, ah, oh, like, what is going on here? And then I finally just pull myself out of it, give a few bits of information, and say, check on it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds me at a wine bar afterwards, because uh, you know, <laughs> I know you always go to that wine bar. <laughs> There's a wine bar afterwards, so I go, I go get a glass of wine after a show, and she finds me there, and she says, you know, I call my mom, and it turns out my grandfather worked on the railroads for the majority of his life, and the way that they ate is they all had a tin can, and they would put dinner in and that's how they would all eat at the end of the day wow and I was like that's amazing (laughs) I love you for finding me at this wine bar thank you so much uh but it's stuff like that where you're like that is so cool you know I mean it just kind of solidifies it for me in those instances Mm -hmm. uh and I think there's something so special about it that um 
just, yeah, it's, it's unexplainable. Yeah. Yeah. I had some moments like that when I first came to see you in the first reading that you ever did for me um, about my friend Abby who had died. And I remember that there was, you brought through, or she was talking about through you, one of her grandparents who had died and how she was with that person. And I couldn't remember, you know, who had died. I, I know she had lost a grandparent. I remembered that, but I couldn't remember which side it was and who, if it was a grandmother or grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I went and I, I sent this long email to her family after I'd seen you and, and her mom wrote back like, oh my God, yes, it was this person. And you had nailed these details that I didn't know. Oh, I love that it stuff. It was really cool. That's cool. I've actually never heard that from you before. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, yeah, those are some of my favorites because yeah. it just brings it to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And um, as a side note, my like my favorite thing about this work is I always have people record and it it's just so nice to see that have this domino effect, so to speak, mm-hmm. or this snowballing effect where it gets sent like throughout the whole family. Yeah. And so you do one reading, but really you read for 30 people. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it's healing for all of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember I had been, um, my friend Abby died and like really early, six weeks after she died, two months maybe, I had gone up, um, she lived in Topanga Canyon and I drove up to take dinner to her husband and their kids and um, the next morning he emailed me and he was like, gosh, this is really weird. I just got this email from this mom at our kid's school. She said she went to see a psychic medium show last weekend and that Abby had come through and Abby had talked like about a bunch of stuff to her and this mom didn't even really know Abby. Like Abby had come through really strongly through you to this woman in the audience who didn't even really know her that well. Um, and that she even mentioned having a, a good friend that was close to the family and like helping out and, 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 you know, her husband had been like, I think that's you. And like, this, you know, yeah, I don't know. And that's so why I immediately found your website, booked a session with you and came to see you. And I ended up coming to see you my appointment with you ended up being the day after her funeral service or her memorial service. They had done a late a service a couple of three months after she died because um, the family had been in such shock when it initially happened that they couldn't, they just weren't ready to do it. And I had flown back to Boston to go to this and my, my appointment with you ended up being the very next morning and I came to see you here in LA and I was shocked with the details that you came through with. There's just no way you could have known any of it. I'd never written about Abby. I mean, she'd only been gone a few months. Like, I had never written about any of it. So much of my life is online and in books that I, you know, I sometimes wonder when I go to see right. people if What's they know researched. stuff about me or if they've been researched, which I now think is such a joke. Like, you guys are not sitting around researching people. Like, you have time to be memorizing details like this. The kind yeah. of details that you bring through, at least. Like, absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and, like, I mean, there is really... No time for research. That's definitely true. Yeah. This morning I was like, how many people am I seeing and in what order? Like I was like texting my assistant. I'm like, yeah. I don't, I can't find the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I was like, and then I sat yeah. in front of this lady. I was like, your name's Rebecca, right? And she was like, it's Rachel. I was like, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> right. So there's like, definitely no time for research. There's no time for that. <laughs> I don't know who could do that. But especially the really obscure details that you guys bring up, you know, like you, um, in that session, that first session, you told me that I didn't tell you that I'd just been in her, at her, yeah, her service, yeah. anything like that, but you brought it up. You, you knew that I had just been there yeah. and you told me that you were seeing this image of me buttoning her daughter's dress and Abby's daughter was only three when she died. And, um, it was such a really sad, hard, also beautiful mm-hmm. moment when I was, helping her daughter get ready for her mom's funeral, you know, and this was this moment that I live in fear of happening to my own children. It's yeah. this moment that I lived myself of putting on a dress for my mother's funeral. And it's the thing that I am most afraid of for my kids that they'll ever have to do that or too young at least. And so here I was doing it for my friend, you know, mm-hmm. and in the moment that I had, the, the thing I realized in that moment was that it could have been completely reversed. It could have been Abby and she would have been there. She was such a dear friend of mine mm-hmm. and she would have absolutely probably been the one helping my kid put on their dress, yeah. you know? And so it was a really like visceral moment when this happened for mm-hmm. so many reasons and that you brought that through and you said, Abby's showing me you putting, helping yeah. button her daughter's dress and how much it meant to her. And like, that was it, <laughs> you know, like waterworks. But, mm-hmm. That's um, beautiful. What do you remember about meeting me? And Yeah, well, I don't really remember my sessions. This is the thing. I think um, the more I do them, I get into this kind of meditative space where I really am a space case to some degree. Like I 
like what I just said, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Rebecca, Rachel, what was your name? I can't remember. Um, and I really kind of go into this in between. So I don't know if I remember much about the actual reading, but what I do remember is doing that show and having Abby come through mm-hmm. because it really is a very uncomfortable moment on stage when you've got somebody that's coming through very strongly and like no one in the audience can take right. it. Like <laughs> no one. It's like, I've got this young woman in her 30s, she's got two kids. I remember it so vividly because Mm -hmm. I said it like a hundred times. I was like, are you sure she's not leaving? You know, and then like (laughs) all this other detailed stuff came in. I was like, oh my God, please somebody take this. Um, She's not going away and I know it's important. And this woman raises her hand. She's like, well, I didn't know her very well. And I was like, you will do. Like, (laughs) please take the message on to her husband and her best friend. I feel like this is for you. Please take it. And this wonderful woman actually did go out and send an email, which is still amazing to me. So it's such a crazy chain of events where now I'm sitting in your dining room table, uh, or dining room table and and having this conversation. So I remember that very vividly. And I remember getting that email because we didn't really have a lot of space in the schedule. And my assistant was like, do you want to see her? Do you not want to see her? Like we got this opening. I was like, yeah, put her in. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like if that's the chain of events that led her to me because of that, Mm -hmm. that, um, session I don't even think if you you guys got me in really quickly and I know that your schedule is usually yeah because I was like I feel like it's important and I I don't remember exactly what happened around that but I was like I feel like it's important I feel like she needs to come in so um it was a really crazy thing where somebody had canceled that morning that we like got the email Mm -hmm. you know we're like all right well perfect we'll just fill the space um and, and I don't remember much about the actual session, to be honest. It's funny because I, when I read it in your book, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, there it I is. must have said those <laughs> <Yeah>. things. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was kind of good, yeah, actually. I it all. Uh, yeah. So I don't remember the sessions, but I also think that in a good session, I really don't remember much. Yeah. It seems like you kind of channel. You're just like you're a, you're a channel or something that's coming yeah. through, you know? Yeah. So if it's a good, if it's a good session, I, I generally don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always nice to kind of hear afterwards where people are like, oh, you said such and such and this and that. And you're like, oh, yeah. that's lovely. But I think also I like that because at the end of the day, it really doesn't have much to do with me. It's not about me right. um, at all. You know, it's that moment between you and your loved one. And I'm really just the intermediary. And it really it doesn't have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. So I like kind of being removed from it yeah. in that time. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's the big question of all this. So when I have an experience like that with a medium, like I have with you and about Abby and the dress, I walk out and I'm just like, okay, she is irrefutably mm-hmm. around and, and here and can see me or can, has some kind of influence on this realm. And mm-hmm. that's, what's always, um, both hard and beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. And so since I've been opening up to this or since I opened it up to it all those years ago, I've started really talking to the people I've lost. Like, I really talk to them now. Sometimes when I'm sad or I'm going through something really hard, I'll really, like, haul on them, my mom or my dad, um, or even Abby and Julie. But sometimes, too, when I'm just trying to figure something out, I'm trying to make a decision, or or I'm excited about something, too. I I really talk to them. Can they hear me? Like, are are they really hearing me? Are are they here right now? Like, can they, like, what? I don't. Well, I always tell people, like, you really don't, need me for your loved ones to be around Mm -hmm. you know you're the one who brought them into the room so to speak you're the one who's going to leave with them Mm -hmm. uh they're here because you've got that connection to them so Mm -hmm. any connection that you have is actually stronger than anything i would have because it's mine's fleeting and momentarily uh there and yours is forever yours is soul connected so absolutely they can hear you Uh, i really think it doesn't have to be a spoken spoken out loud for it to be heard i think that the communication is just energy so you could yeah. think it uh yeah. send it in that way um yeah when i say i talk to them it's more like just in my head or i write them letters sometimes i talk out loud to them yeah right? yeah really uh it's it's interesting because they they absolutely will bring that kind of stuff up in readings as well i did a reading this last week for someone who had written her father a letter and then had thrown it in the water mm-hmm. and uh in the reading it came up I was like oh you've written a letter and he says it's been swallowed by the earth <laughs> and she's like well that's funny because I <laughs> threw it into a river so I guess yeah. yes it has been swallowed by the earth 
Um, and uh, and it was just, you know, it's it's interesting because he's like, I've, I've read it, I know what it says. Um, I think the energetic intention of wanting to connect is enough. I think we try to overcomplicate it, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. It's like the intention is there, they, they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, I think, awareness of us is so different than our awareness of them. Right. Um, I think that we really have the stronger barrier and yeah. the bigger separation. Yeah. And that was something I, I did a lot of work around when I was doing my, my spiritual journey for that book and kind of trying to be okay with it, with this being a kind of like denser realm that we're in. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have that kind of heady connection that someone like you does, like most of us, mm-hmm. I don't think do, but what I kind of came out of it with was that there is a different realm wherever all these people are that that's very different in time and space. Yeah. Um, very different. What, like, what is your understanding of that? Where are, where, where are they? Where's my mom? Yeah. Laura, where, where's my where? mom? Uh, well, I think she's right behind you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very, very accurate statement. Um, I think that at the end of the day, we are, we're vibrating beings, right? At the very deepest right. layers of us, we've got the same, molecular makeup as this table that we're sitting on mm-hmm. but yet we look very different from the table mm-hmm. and uh, at the same time we've got radio signals coming around us mm-hmm. we've got cell phone signals yeah, and we like see them works. that kind of blows my mind yeah right <laughs> it, it really is like amazing the fact that you could call England right now and yeah. it would work with nothing plugged in anywhere like yeah amazing so there's all these cell phone rays and you know obviously we have technology to measure that but I think in that same way of looking at it the afterlife really exists where we exist it's just vibrating at a level that we don't have the technological advances for yet Mm -hmm. we don't have the uh, electronic equipment to be able to measure it i think personally so i think they are absolutely around and um in the space i don't think that they are limited by the world that we've created i think that um, we see things as very dense and very kind of like here and in place. And I don't think that they operate in that way at all. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of uh, almost maybe in some way you can imagine that we're like a bubble within a bubble, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're just like yeah. a smaller compartment of a larger thing. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're here and they're part of it, but we're not necessarily part of all of their experience. We're, we're part of it, but we're not the whole. And so that's almost the best visual representation I would have of it. Um, but they, yeah, they come and go, I think. And when they're needed, that they're there. And I also think that they can be in multiple places at once. So again, not limited by time and space at yeah. all. Yeah. That's so interesting. I have like a million questions I want to ask you in that realm, but then we're going to just talk for two hours. And we can't do that. So I'm going to ask you this question that I hear everybody ask at every show that I've ever been to a psychic medium show. And it's the funniest question. It's so silly to me because I don't really worry about this one in particular. I do worry sometimes if maybe my loved ones are disappointed with me or if they, you know, I don't know, just random stuff like that. But everybody always asks, can they see us go to the bathroom? <laughs> are they watching the us shame. go to the bathroom? <laughs> you know, people will ask that and I just have never found that the spirit world cares in any way. Right. They also don't see us as, I think, physical beings. Mm-hmm. We are energetic bodies to them. So yeah. they we're energies, I think. And it's, it's just the sense of... You know, they know you're having a human experience and it's part of your human experience. Right. So I think it doesn't even get acknowledged almost or it doesn't matter. I don't think anyone's sitting there like twirling their thumbs being like, gosh, she's been in the bathroom for an awfully long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like they're sitting around watching us. I feel like they must have something better. They do. Doing. They've got jobs. They've got ways that they are trying to better their world and our world. And I really feel feel like it's almost um it's, it's kind of like asking you know like your neighbor next door uh are they spending their day trying to see if they can look into your bathroom no they've got another stuff to do you <laughs> yeah. know yeah. like they are they, can they potentially do it yeah, yeah I'm sure but like they just don't care to doesn't matter to them <laughs> so um I don't know about your neighbors so no. maybe I'm, my neighbors are a little interesting <laughs> in, a good, in a good way. This might be a terrible <laughs> analogy. Are you able to use your 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 superpowers to like win the lottery or like snag the perfect boyfriend? 
Well, I did buy a lottery ticket this week, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to work out in that way. It's 700 million. I know. I had to buy it. I was like, God, how can you not? You have to. How can you not? My dad used to, (laughs) the ever rational engineer, he used to, on Sunday mornings, we'd go to the store, Kroger, and he'd be like, all right, Fleur, (laughs) if you were to think of five numbers, (laughs) just any five number and a six. (laughs) <laughs> what numbers would you pick? And my sister would be like, two. And he's like, we're not asking you. <laughs> my sister would be like, two, seven, 14. And I would get so annoyed. He'd be like, oh, I'm like I don't know. Uh, and it never really worked out for him, unfortunately. He did try for many years. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it works that way, to be quite honest. Um, you're also very careful with your stuff. Like, I know that you're really respectful of your work. Yeah, it feels um, very sacred to me. Mm-hmm. So I almost... Feel like it just wouldn't necessarily feel right. And there would probably be some like bad karma. I don't really believe in that bad karma of it. I just feel like I don't know. There's like a deep inner resistance to it that I can't quite mm-hmm. explain. I'm like, that's not what it's for. Yeah. Like, I don't even. That's not what I'm using it for. I'm not even gonna try. You know. Uh, so I don't quite. I can't quite explain it. Maybe maybe karma in some way, but I just I, I have no interest in it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I bought a lottery ticket, but it was one of those, like, I didn't guess the numbers. I just was like, hey, give them to me. Great. Wonderful. I was with a friend. And we're like, let's do it. Um, (laughs) And ironically, it's a friend who's actually won a million dollars at once. And I said something funny along the lines of, gosh, if I win a million dollars, it would solve all my problems. He's like, girlfriend, I've won a million dollars. He's like, it did not solve all my problems. Amazing. I was like, all right, fair point, fair point. So anyway, so, so yeah, no lottery tickets. Um, as for the perfect boyfriend, um, I, <laughs> um, there's a pretty good one at the moment, but Ooh, I, I know, right? And uh, uh, perfect, he's gonna get a big head. Um, but uh, I don't know if my psychic gifts led me to him at all. <laughs> so I don't think it anything to do with that. Uh, what did he think when you told him you were psychic? You know, this is one of the things that I thought was really great about him. It was It's one of the first dates that I've ever been on where he was like, oh, that's really cool. And then, like, completely changed the subject. So, like, not overly excited, not, yeah. not freaked out. Yeah, and I was almost, like, the weirder one about it. I was like, um, are you not going <laughs> to ask me 700 questions yeah. now? He was like, no. Nah. Like, I legitimately think that's really cool. He's like, I don't believe or not believe. And, like, he's like, I'm open to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So what do you think about, you know? Like, I was like, that's awesome. It's like, what? Because uh, I'm so used to playing the 20 questions after that place or that the whole conversation would just go into a space of work. And he yeah. was like, that's awesome. Like you would treat any other job. Yeah. You know? That's great. So it was great. So um, kind of nearing the end, but one of like the big questions that I feel like people, my clients are grappling with or thinking about, and I know I grapple with is like why do some of us die young or in accidents or mm. why do some of us have really hard suffering deaths and some of us live to be 90 and have the perfect life and like it's just having this question. access to that realm and having like seeing all this do you have any sense of what yeah. it's about uh I think that there isn't a golden rule answer to like a overarching kind of always the case answer to that I don't think that every passing is meant to be for Mm -hmm. example I really don't I think sometimes I work with someone I think yeah that really was an accident like that shouldn't have happened Mm -hmm. you know like there was a mistake made somehow Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it's perfect in any way Mm -hmm. um I think the human body is also flawed I think it's a vessel for Mm -hmm. a soul Mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes the way the soul vibrates uh for number of reasons just doesn't match the physical body Mm -hmm. and so it causes Mm -hmm. stagnation and friction um i think sometimes that in some cases it's very true that unresolved emotional issues or things of that nature can rise into physical problems if they're not dealt with you were saying that about yourself you know that this Mm -hmm. woman told you that if you didn't follow your path it was going to manifest in sickness you wouldn't be around long yep yeah So I think there are so many reasons. I do think that there are exit points for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like various ones. Various ones, yeah. Hmm. Moments where, for example, um, in my own family, someone had the very strong premonition of going into surgery and and knowing that they would die. And 
was like, it's routine. It's not going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, just don't worry about it. Uh, I was still a kid and was woken up in the woken up in the middle of the night, being like, "What do you think?" And uh, my answer was supposedly terrifying because I was like, "I can't tell you that." Mm-hmm. Um, and went back to sleep, <laughs> which was not comforting in any way. I was like, "You're not allowed to know that," and went back to bed. <laughs> so not comforting. Uh, went into surgery and just came so close to passing. Lost mm. two thirds of her blood. Wow. Um, really, really close to death's door. And she had asked, but didn't, but she had asked before she went, she's like, if this is at all not my time to go, you keep that door closed. She's like, I don't want to see lights. I don't want to see anything. She asked, you mean like, she asked God? She asked, yeah, she asked um, uh, my grandfather who was already passed. So she was like, you keep that door closed. She's like, I'm not, I'm not going. And so when she came back, um, interestingly enough, the doctor said, what did you see? Uh, Because whenever people... Like, get that close. They see something. She's like, I saw a closed door. (laughs) Uh, And so I really do feel like you have exit points where if your soul somehow thinks, yeah, I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish in in some circumstances. I'm not saying this is in every one. But if your soul gets to a place where there is that threshold and you think to yourself, I've done what I needed to do. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. You can cross, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Or if your soul is like, yeah, this is my time, then that would be an exit point you would choose to take. Or you could say, absolutely not. I think ultimately it does, there is the soul's decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting um, that you'll hear people have these experiences where somebody does die tragically, but in the months and the weeks preceding it, it's like they somehow knew. Mm-hmm. They wrote letters yeah, to yeah. people. They said goodbye. Like yeah. Crazy things where, um, in in I know someone of that nature who he passed in a car accident and he called up friends to make sure his girlfriend was going to be okay he was like hey just in case anything happens to me can you keep an eye on her randomly passing a car accident and it just gives me chills to think about passing a car accident two weeks later so it's like the soul already knew yeah and the physical body wasn't consciously aware of it but was coming to a place of being like okay i can exit now wow it seems crazy and it seems tragic and it seems like not his time but it's weird looking at the weeks preceding that to say he must have known because there are so many crazy random right. events that that you would go. He said goodbye to everybody. Yeah. Um, and I think I think there's so many explanations to that that I and I always would hate to give like an overarching answer like oh when it's time it's time. I don't think that's the case. I think there mm-hmm. are really accidents. I think sometimes the physical body for some reason, just wasn't equipped to hold the soul for very long. Yeah. Uh, there was something that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and What about for someone who's listening who's, like, really pissed that their person is gone and they just really feel like they weren't supposed to, to go yet? Um, well, I think there isn't really an answer to that other than saying that they're not really gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's the biggest hurdle because, yes, of course, they're not they're not here. And so that's, that's very... Um, horrible and, and can create a lot of that anger uh, at the just the sense of them not being tangibly available um, but I think something to remember that it is really temporary mm-hmm. uh, and I think sometimes it may be an accident um, but ultimately uh, I think there there's also most of the time I would say the accidents are very 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 small percentage of that um, most of the time, I think that there's a, there's a something else at play, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But to maybe think about it not as a definitive end, but just a momentary separation. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, that it doesn't necessarily help anything. But sometimes just to know that they're they're there, they're just not within easy reach mm-hmm. in, in way of like a tangible way. Sure, does does help in some way, but. I think grief's a weird thing, as you've seen. And sometimes yeah. it is not easy to tell yourself that when you're feeling those emotions, it rises up and it's just there. Yeah. So I think it's just riding the wave through it. And if you're feeling the anger, you just move through it the best way you can. Yeah. What about for someone who's just really sad and just they just really, really miss that person? I think talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, look for signs. Um, if you get dreams, pay attention. 
And if you see something where you're like, oh, that's them, acknowledge it. Yeah. Because uh, I think they're trying to find ways to reach you too. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy for them. They're not necessarily given a book on the other side of like how to connect back to your loved one mm-hmm. on the living side, <laughs> you know? So they're, they're struggling too in terms of like, how do I do this? How do I get their attention? So acknowledge what you do get because you'll find if you acknowledge, like for example, that you keep seeing sunflowers, all of a sudden you're seeing 20 sunflowers a week mm-hmm. and it's just constant. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Um, so last question before we wrap up, um, I ask everyone this who comes on the show, what do you think happens when we die? And then you've kind of answered that and normally yeah. other people have different <laughs> You kind of seem to know, but... You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny. I think we continue on. I don't think that death is an end Mm -hmm. in the way that we see it. Do I know exactly what that looks like? No. Um, I think none of us will until Mm -hmm. we get there, but I know it continues somehow. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't necessarily have this picture in my mind of how the afterlife looks. I also think, to be honest, I think it looks different for different people Mm -hmm. in terms of not like good, bad, but like whatever your idea of heaven is, like you, you go and you have a, you know whatever your continuation needs to be is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think the bottom line of that is I just don't feel like it's a definitive end. Mm-hmm. It continues. Mm-hmm. And that energy doesn't die. Uh, and that it's intelligent and learns and grows. And I don't think it's instant enlightenment either. Yeah. I don't think you you cross over and you know everything all of a sudden. I think you just continue on the journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's comforting. Oh, I'm glad. So where can people find you? Mediumfleur.com. Mediumfleur on Instagram, Facebook, any and all of that. And are you available for phone, person? Yeah. Um, People think phone isn't possible, but it totally is. It's all just energy. So I don't need you in a room to be able to do a reading for you. Um, Readings over the phone, in person, it's all available on my website. Uh, The waiting list is a little long at the moment. I do offer express readings for people who are like, I cannot wait. Um, so <laughs> Which that's, is everyone. Yeah, right. Uh, but the wait list is about a year. Um, but I'll, I'll get to you. You know, if your name's yeah. on the wait list, I'll get to you. Okay. So it just it might be a little bit of a wait. Thank you. Or you can come to my house and hang out at the planning. <laughs> yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> you can sometimes be found here. Exactly. <laughs> With the cats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. For Thank it. you for having me. This was great. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you enjoyed all that Flora and I talked about and um, everything that we kind of brought to the table. I would love to hear your thoughts on on everything that you heard today. Um, have you ever seen a psychic medium? Have you had cool experiences with them? Have you had bad experiences? Do you just have questions about seeing one? I would really like to hear from you. Comment on my social media or send me an email. I'm really curious what you guys think. Again, you can find Floor at mediumfloor.com. Floor's name is spelled F-L-E-U-R. And you can find me at clairebidwellsmith.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe regularly on iTunes. I'll be back here again next Sunday morning, and I hope you will be too.